Be turning in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read quite a number of verses there. Uh, A handful of us were in Sunday school, and... um, Andrew did a pretty strong job on chapter 10 in Hebrews. Um, I felt like uh, maybe I needed to go easy on y'all after that um, because it was, I don't know if anybody else, maybe it was me, I was the only one heavily convicted, but um, I won't ask for a show of hands of those who went through it, but it's pretty powerful and I felt like um, maybe I should have been teaching Sunday school, and he was doing the preaching. But it is what it is, and uh, I'm here uh, still feeling rusty because I don't get to do this often enough. Um, The last time I was up here, or maybe the time before, um, I admitted that at one time I used to be a college campus street preacher, and a lot of times you would seat me like this, and I'd be just rattling off verses like I had memorized the whole Bible, but it was really just the spirit of evangelism in me that just, you know, and and when I say that, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit actually gifts you and empowers you and excites you, and um, it's a lot less of you than it is Him. And I, that's what I saw in Andrew this morning, and um, you know there were a lot of good things that he shared, both from the writer of Hebrews, and then he went to Paul, which uh, we all suspect is the actual writer of Hebrews. Um, but I thank God sometimes that he left it a little unknown. There's no name Apostle Paul writes to the Hebrews. Uh, It's not in there, so in a sense, you go more directly to, well, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the actual writer, which is the truth of these scriptures here. Um, But unless I maybe jump into what I thought I might preach, um, which I will say, earlier in the week, I thought I was going to preach, we sang a song on the armor of God, and and, uh, Sid's going through the book of Ephesians, and... We're coming up on some practical stuff um, that, that um, us husbands always are challenged by where it says uh, that you should love your wife as Christ loved the church and, and how he gave himself for the church. And so we guys always um, feel real inadequate um, but it drives you to the Lord, and you ask for forgiveness for not being the guy you should be, and you get the grace and the power to be more who you should, more like Christ. But the other practical thing that comes up is Paul must be chained to a Roman soldier or something, but as he's inspired, he begins to tell us, as we get there in the book of Ephesians, to take a stand and to stand firm against the wiles of the devil, against the powers of darkness. And he goes into a list 
of these powers and these principalities that, that we wrestle with. And he, he makes it a point to say, you don't just wrestle against, you know, flesh and blood. And sometimes, you know, you turn on the news, there's a lot of bloody flesh and blood going on. And there seems to be the society we're in, the nation we're in, the city, the neighborhood is um, combating each other and protesting and and uh, fighting the authorities, and uh, and and it's it's depressing. Um, as Andrew was saying, even in Sunday school, uh, that um, this life at times really is a bummer. I mean, it's it's no life at all. If you know a little bit about the life to come, you'd almost be willing to check on out of here. But God has left us a calling, and a life. Each one of us has a purpose given by Almighty God. And, and Paul, who knows his calling, and he knows what he's left, been left here for, an apostle called, not by himself, not by the church, but by Jesus Christ himself. He's been left here and he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, which God has preserved for us to read. He's writing this letter and he's telling them, you've been called, you've been gifted, you have um, an adversary that you don't need to be running from. The Bible actually says in another place, resist the devil. He will flee from you. It doesn't tell you to flee from the devil. You know, you've heard we have victory in Christ. We're not in this with our own strength. We're not just in here in the strength of each other. As much as the Bible talks about encouraging one another, as you see the day drawing near, uh, Paul writes to the Galatians, don't grow weary in well-doing. You know, we can grow weary. You know, it seems like sometimes the more good you do, the more trouble you get. I, I, I fall into saying no good deed goes unpunished. It seems like some days they just go down like that. And yet Paul either precedes that statement by this, know this, that God is a rewarder of those who do good. He says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. He, he's, he's able to know what's, what you're sowing. He's able to, to bless the, the effort that you're putting in that's good. But he also warns those who might be deceived and think they can get away with sowing bad things. He says, you're going to reap. It's a mockery of God, the Bible says, to sow bad things and think you're not going to reap them. That's acting like there is no God, which is... You're the fool, not God. You're the fool. But um, anyhow, let's take a look 
at what the, the Bible says the, that the Apostle John um, got from the Holy Spirit when he uh, was inspired to write these words that are in our Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'll stop for just a second. I heard it once said, the Word was with God. That that word with is actually more like the Word was face to face with God. So if you take what the rest of the Bible tells about the Father and the Son, they were as close as you could get, face to face with one another. Once you get to know the Word is literally the person of Jesus Christ himself in the Trinity. And it's really hard to separate the Trinity because Jesus himself said, the Father and I are one. But here he is, the Word with God. And in case that's not strong enough, the Holy Spirit inspires John to say, and the Word was God. There's some Bibles out there, I have a copy or two, that put in the article A, and they say the Word was a God. It's not what it says here. There's other places in the Bible where it makes it clear there is no other God. Now, Jesus once said, know ye not ye are gods? All right, that is a subject of plural, God's plural, but the one united God, Elohim, which is a plural term, but it's also singular shows there is a trinity of the Godhead and there's not um, any more to that Godhead. And so when it says the word was God, it is totally wrong theologically to say the word was a God. He, verse 2, was in the beginning with God. Now, beginning there is a time uh, term. And I want you to understand everything I'm telling you today comes from here. And I want to let you know there was a time when there was no Bible. Time. There was a time. I know that from this book. You don't even have to go all the way back before creation. You can just go back to the time of Job. And Job was afflicted by the devil. And um, his friends heard about it and they came. He's lost everything and now his health is atrocious. He has oozing boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. I don't know if anybody here's ever had one. I've had one, and they are almost indescribably painful. 
So to have them from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, I would have been inconsolable. But here, on top of that, you've lost all your children, all of your servants, except the ones that lived to tell you, all of your cattle, all your wealth. And your friends have now come to stare at you for a week without saying anything. And they all begin to offer their opinion. And if you say anything, they have little rebuttals. So they're all talking about God and their opinion about God. But right at that time, there's nothing written. So, who's the authority on what? Is Job right? Are they right? And we're not in that period. We're in the time where we have the scriptures. We have the truth. And I confess to you, I don't appreciate it enough. I neglect this book. This person right here we're reading about, I neglect him. Uh, Paul warned Timothy, be careful, don't get too entangled in the affairs of this life. You won't be a very effective soldier. And so you actually have to say, do I want to be a soldier in the army of God? Or am I going to get on the sidelines? Am I going to be a competing athlete or somebody just kind of cheering the athletes? And I found myself on the front lines for God, and it was so, uh, what's a word? I don't know, um, beyond scary. I mean, it was like you could see you weren't going to make it. You weren't going to be married in another week or month. You weren't going to... Have a testimony worth sharing. And I actually prayed, God, can I kind of rein it back, get away? I'm not going to go and do those things against the devil anymore um, or for a while. Take a break from it. Now, I'll admit there was a part where the Holy Spirit was actually saying, don't go there because you're ahead of me. Now, a zealot has a hard time hearing that. You, you, you know, I, I'll admit, I kind of drug the Holy Spirit along a lot of times. Hey, I need you. And he'd be waiting back there saying, stay home, minister to your wife. And I couldn't hear that. So when all of a sudden, you know, things start blowing up in your life, you will, he'll get the, t- the attention that you, he, he needs you to have, and you'll focus on the, the things that are more important. Um, being a zealot and grabbing souls for the kingdom of God is awesome, but you, you can act like Jesus is coming back any minute. I'm going to grab somebody on the way up and witness to them, and if they don't ask, you know, receive Christ, I'll threaten to let them go. You know, and so you're, 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 you're hanging them over hell. Which, by the way, Andrew did a pretty good job. I feel like in Sunday school, he took me to hell and back to heaven. Anybody else feel that witness? I, again, I said I wasn't going to ask for a show of hands, but I felt that he, he took 
he took us in our thinking to what's your choice? Do you want to live for God in his kingdom? Or do you want to be swept away by, by a lack of faith in the word of God? And, and literally come up short. Now, maybe you'll squeak into heaven, but all those things you think you might have when you get there, they won't be there. But if you're really living for God, if you really have counted the cost and said, there's nothing here that, that God hasn't given me that I'm not willing to give up. And I don't want to say you have to give up um, even your own children, but I have to tell you, they really aren't yours. They're his. And the sooner you realize that, responsibility that's been given to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that's when, you know, he can bless you. But if you have, if you've got this, that I got to live vicariously through my kids, um, you may need to rethink that. But I'm just saying, God will use each and every one of you to take a stand, not run from the devil, not pray that God will put you on the sidelines, but to actually expect, have an expectation of being used by God. Have a faith, a hope that you and your maker will make a difference in someone's life. Each one of you here today is an encouragement to somebody you are, you are the vessel that God has chosen to work through. You know, it's, it's amazing how few times God does something directly in the Bible. Even when he calls fire down from heaven, he usually has somebody like Elijah there saying when it's going to happen. You know, the story where Elijah is sick and tired of worshiping Baal, and so he calls all the prophets together and has an altar, and he says, "Uh, you prophets of Baal, I'm going to give you first dibs. If Baal is God, then worship him, but if Jehovah is God, worship him. And you prophets, y'all can just have at it. And the only thing that is going to be the, the measure is who, which God brings fire down out of heaven and burns up the the sacrifice. And if you know the story, they go on from sunup to sundown. They're they're slashing themselves and bleeding and hollering and shouting, and God keeps giving them a little more time. Maybe your God's asleep. Yell a little louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, But in the end, their time's over. It's time for us to worship Jehovah. And... Before he does, he has them get barrels of water and pour it all over the altar, and it fills up a trench around the altar. So when he finally calls, Jehovah, show us, and fire comes down out of heaven and literally consumes not just the sacrifice, but the rocks and the water, gone. He doesn't stop there. All the people then know who to worship. 
and he says, the prophets of Baal, kill them. And so we are literally in a war and we're the vessels that God says, take a stand. And, and this Roman guy is sitting there with his helmet and his, his belt. And, and, and Paul tells you each and every aspect of that armor has a spiritual significance. And he literally describes the truths spiritually behind each aspect of that armor. And, and he's, he's digesting it and using the analogy so that we in the church of Ephesus, as we are, can remember those different aspects of taking off our flesh and our strength and putting on Christ. Amen. The belt, he says, is truth. And, and, and I was going to actually teach on the armor of God, and I realized, you know what? I'm going to let Sid, when he comes back, move into that. But I want you to know that this guy we're reading about right here, the Word of God, when he came and was born on this earth, became incarnate. Remember, everything I'm telling you, I get from this book. And though there was a time this book wasn't written, this is not that time. I could go back past Job, past even Noah. No written scriptures. Only the word of God spoken. Where would we be today if we only could hear God speak and then Rely on our memories. What did God say? Uh, we have a good example of that in the garden. God had said to Adam, you can eat of every tree except that one, the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of that tree, for in the day you do, you shall surely die. By the time the devil came to town, by the way, he said that to Adam. He didn't say that to Eve. I'm here to read that Adam told Eve later because Eve hadn't even been made yet. The next passage is Adam needs a companion. I got the scriptures now. I can look and see what God said, what happened, when the devil showed up. Back then, no written word. It was just God said. So when the devil shows up and Eve quotes what Adam said, God said, she gets it a little wrong. So she's already a little on shaky ground. She doesn't have the Bible. She doesn't have Adam standing at her side. He's off, whatever. She's there being tempted and tested, and she's getting the, oh, we can't even look at it. We can't touch it. And then this, the devil himself says, oh, God's holding out on you. He knows. He knows. He knows something you don't know. It's good to taste. It tastes good. It'll be good for you. You'll be like God. Which is, the Bible tells me that was what Satan's sin was. He was there leading all the angels in heaven to worship and glorify God. And all of a sudden he said, man, I look good. 
I'm so smart. Maybe I ought to move over on this team. I'll just stand next to the Most High and I'll be getting worshipped. There's a lot of pride and it starts with him. But there's really, I've, everything I'm telling you comes from this book. I've found only one person in this book who's humble enough to handle worship. You've heard the saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I've seen that in my short 65 years. Yeah, I've seen that. I mean, Adolf Hitler, pretty good example. But there's lots of everyday examples. Give somebody too much money, it'll almost always show you what their character's made of. But God can handle it. Somebody once asked me in a Bible study, share the most amazing character that you know about God. And man, people started sharing. God is so loving. God is so merciful. God is so powerful. God is so wise. He's so awesome. And I was going, wow, that that is good stuff. What could I share? And then it hit me. He's all those things, but he's the most humble. Wait. Angels are worshiping him. How is he humble? (laughs) I don't know how he is, but it says he humbles himself to behold the things that are on earth. Get that, man. This is a guy who holds every atom together in every molecule in the entire universe, blazing furnaces of stars, like our sun, only bigger. Angels willing to do anything he wants, totally obedient, waiting for an order from the commander-in-chief. How do I get all this? From here. The Lord of Sabaoth, the Bible says, the commander of the host. That's in here. It was a time when the Bible didn't, it wasn't here. But I'm not in that time. I live in the dispensation of grace. How do I know that? The Bible tells me. I'm not under law. Well, does that mean I have a license to sin? God forbid, this book says. I'm under grace. If we read on in this passage, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Right here. I mean, I'm I'm really neglecting some awesome truths. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man from God, sent from God, whose name was John. He came for a witness. That's not John the Apostle. That's John the Baptist. 
sent. Six months before Mary received the incarnate Son of God in her virgin womb, Elizabeth, an elderly lady, became pregnant with this prophet of John. John came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. The world was made through him. And the world did not know him. That's sad, by the way. That's bad news. If you don't know the Lord, bad news. But the good news is he came and he shines the light on darkness, though often the darkness cannot comprehend it. He, um, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. You must, most of you know, that's talking about the, the nation of Israel, the Jews called out among the nations to be the light to the world for the one true God. Lots of false gods out there, lots of demons imitating God. Only one true God and one nation. And the Messiah, this scripture, old prophets had recorded that the Messiah would come to his people. But it warned that they were getting hard-hearted towards their God, and they were, if they were even looking for their Messiah, they were making um, him be what they want him to be, not what God wanted him to be. They were exalting him to be their king and their ruler they weren't willing to humble themselves and t- bring the, what they needed. And that was a savior from their sin. Amen. How do I know about this from this book? If you don't get anything else from today's sermon, if you want to call it, it's that you have a precious record of all that preceded Christ and all that came after him and all that's yet to come. You are so blessed to live right now. You have so much truth, so many translations of this Bible that you are without excuse in understanding it. More importantly, you don't need me to teach you. You have the Holy Spirit to help you understand His Word, to be filled with His Holy Spirit, which this Word says is necessary. This is your food. Jesus didn't come and say, I'm one of the ways. Or, you might want to listen to my Word. He said, I am the truth. We're talking about the truth here. This is not a general, what's true out there in the world. Jesus said, I am the truth. 
I am the truth. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It's a privilege to get here and to talk to Christ's sheep and know that something the Spirit of God might say would strengthen and encourage you to serve the King of Kings. You know, the world is constantly trying to mold us into nothingness. I'm too tired, I'm too sick, I'm too poor. I said it earlier, no good deed goes unpunished. But God calls us to be a part of a body. The Apostle Paul makes it clear when he writes to his true disciple, Timothy, that we should be a soldier, that we should be a part of a body of believers. We should be ministering to those younger than us, older than us, and encouraging them to serve God in all they do. This is not a part-time job. Waking or sleeping, you can be in communication with God. There's a verse in this book that says God will give to you even while you sleep. I've seen that too. Not just in my case, but I've seen where they actually show what people experience in a, in a day gets processed by their sleep. And when they, they get up the next morning, they're better at it than they were the day before. They said the body even weeds out what it doesn't need thought-wise and physical-wise so that you're more coordinated, more clear in your thinking after you've slept on something. God gives to you even while you're sleeping. This book says that. There's so many things I could have preached on. But you're in a Bible church... We're not a denomination, but we are God's people. And we have been given the food that we need. We have been given the weapon that we need. We have been given the power that we need to be victorious in our everyday life and in our spiritual life. I could go through the armor and tell you about the helmet and the, the shoes the gospel of peace. You have peace with God, by the way. If you've been with us in, in Sunday school and, and, and sensed those who are shrinking back and there's nothing left but the destruction of God, you would want to have the peace with, with God. They will want to have it and it'll be too late. The breastplate of righteousness, which is God's righteousness... But I'm telling you, you don't have a license to sin when you have on Christ's righteousness. God says, Timothy gets a letter from Paul saying, let those, everyone who names the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. Nowadays, it's, it's popular to preach grace as though you can do whatever you want. 
The devil likes to preach that. He's told, he's told me that many, many different ways. It's okay. Jesus died for that. You can be upset. Go ahead, be angry. But the Bible says don't sin, though. There is an anger that's right, but that doesn't license you to sin. That doesn't license you to take uh, authority in your own hands. Submit to, to God. Let God rule in your life. Pray for those who cause you to be angry. They may be attacking you. They may be attacking, attacking somebody you don't even know, but it just riles you up. They may have offended you. You need to let that go quickly. But if they offend the people of God, that can make you mad. But don't go kill them yourself. Pray for them. They need the same salvation you've got. Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Here it is. Jesus did battle with Satan himself. And he said, when Satan said, hey, you're hungry 40 days, hadn't had anything to eat. Why don't you make these rocks into hot loaves of bread? And You know, I mean, it says, if you're the son of God or since you're the son of God. Both of them are tempting. If you're the son of God, you want to prove it, prove it to the world. Or since you are, why don't you? Jesus doesn't even consider recommendations from Satan. He takes an obscure verse in the book of Deuteronomy where God's just walking along talking about stuff and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, check that out theologically and it'll hold all the water you want to put on it. Because Jesus himself said, what can a man give in return for his soul? If you have the whole world and lose your soul, you're a loser. You lose your soul. You lost. But if your soul is preserved in heaven, if Jesus Christ says, I give my sheep eternal life, he's not saying one day, he's saying now. I have the words of eternal life now. If you know Jesus Christ, you have all the riches available to you in this book, the promises and blessings of God. And they're not just somebody said something. They're here recorded. And as Jesus told the devil, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by... He, of course, the devil said, oh, you want to play the Bible game? Well, I'm going to take you up on the temple and you dive off because the Bible says he'll give his angels charge over you lest you even dash your foot against a stone. So just jump on off there and trust God. Jesus, who is the word, knows the written word and he said, it's written, you don't tempt the Lord your God like that. Kind of make the Bible your little... Lamp. God, you got to do what, what you said. That's not the attitude. 
If you step out on a promise for God, you're not daring him to do it. You're believing him to do it. You're not, I'm going to defy gravity, God. You make up for the rest. Show yourself. There's a time for that, but not when the devil's tempting you. It's written. You have a Bible. God has preserved it. God, you know, there was a time, no Hebrew, no Greek, no scriptures, no original manuscripts. It was whatever God said. But now you have it in writing. There's a reason. Because you're expected to look at it, to study it. Paul says, preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Encourage one another as you see the day of his return. You know, the knowledge of Christ is coming. How do I know that? It's in this book. It's going to fill the earth. The glory of God is coming. You're not going to be able to go to each other and say, hey, have you heard the Lord's in Jerusalem? People look at it. Of course everybody knows Jesus is on the throne in Jerusalem. How do I know that? This book right here. He's coming. He's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem on this earth. Not the new earth. Not the new heavens. This earth for a thousand years. How do I know that? This book. God wants you to know it. He wants you to live like it. I'm ashamed I don't live like I should. I need to repent. I need to, I need to be filled with the knowledge of this book. Rightly divided. It's not a flip and dip. Every verse in here is the same. You need to rightly understand the program you're in right now, the calling on you, the epistles of Paul will tell you how to live your life. And, and by the way, you might think you're too old or too whatever. Paul says, forget what lies behind. Now, put it, put it back. If you messed up yesterday, put it behind you. Start right now living for God. Amen. Jude ends, ends his letter by saying, Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling... And present you faultless, blameless, before His throne in glory. To the only God, by the way, it's not God's. To the only God, your Savior, through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and majesty and dominion forever. Time past, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's close. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this inspired book by your Holy Spirit, speaking through these prophets, speaking through these apostles, speaking through mere men, but filling them with your truth that we might not be inadequate to know how we can live. We thank you for your supernatural uh, breaking through to reveal yourself to us. Most of all, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the great gift he was and how obedient he was, even to the point of death, 
of being separated from you for our sin and paying for it in full. Thank you for helping us to believe that and receive it. And we pray that you would use us to tell others of that good news. For Christ's sake and in his name, amen.